welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. We've got Cara Aitchison as our guest on this week's podcast. She's the Vice Chancellor of Cardiff Met University. And actually she's done some amazing work there on levelling up. But actually it's also a place that has just won Times Higher Education University of the Year. So I feel like I'm getting a chance to talk to Cara about that perhaps as fast as anyone else because she's only just received that award on behalf of the university but it is really important and it really gives you a sense of the university and what it's doing so so let's kind of go to you instantly Cara first of all welcome to the podcast brilliant to have you on tell us a little bit for people who are less familiar with Cardiff Met about the university history a bit of background and then maybe about the students who who are at your university Thank you, Justine, and thanks for the opportunity to speak today. Yeah, Cardiff Met's a really interesting university. It has a history going back to 1865, and perhaps not unlike some universities founded around that time, its origins were very much about widening educational opportunities. And it was actually founded in Cardiff Free Library, So in that great era of widening access to books and reading and learning, Cardiff Met was very much at the heart of that. It wasn't, of course, called Cardiff Met in those days, and it's gone through, I think, something like 17 different name changes over those 156 years. But it was initially founded as Cardiff School of Art and Science. Mm -hmm. And this is actually really significant because it speaks to the interdisciplinary focus Mm -hmm. of the university, which is something that we are very preoccupied with at the moment, not just at Cardiff Met, but across universities as a whole, where I think we all recognize that many of the solutions to these big local and global challenges, the entrenched problems that we're all dealing with, are no longer found in single disciplines or subject areas. They're about making those links across disciplines to find interdisciplinary and impactful solutions. So that was an interesting origin. And then it moved into a whole series of colleges that were focused very much on specific professions. So perhaps not surprisingly for Cardiff, there was a strong maritime school. My Mm -hmm. office is actually in a building that Uh, was focused on maritime education. There was a strong food sciences um, division, strong in teacher training, allied Mm. health professions, business and commerce, and then more recently into areas like sports science, and now most recently into technologies. So it's a university that's always been very applied in its focus. It's always been Um, a university that's concerned with developing opportunities, both economic and social, for local people. It has a strong widening participation mission, and almost 40% of our Welsh domiciled students come from a widening participation background. Um, We're a university that is probably medium-sized by UK standards. We have around 12,000 students based at two campuses in Cardiff. And then we have a further 9,000, what we call transnational education students, Mm -hmm. 
And they're based at 18 partner colleges in 15 countries around the world, wow. mostly in North Africa, Middle East, South and Southeast Asia. And these students are all studying Cardiff Met degrees, just the same as the degrees mm -hmm. they would study in Cardiff, which means, and I think this is important for leveling up and raising aspirations. It means that these students can come to Cardiff and study part of their degree here, but equally our students in Cardiff could spend a short period of time if they so wanted in one of those countries studying their degree overseas. Um, we're, we're big on international. We have oh, about 20% of our student population in Cardiff is international. That is going to increase dramatically come January where at the latest count, we will be welcoming 1,144 international students for our second intake this year. And I think that link between international students and local students, international students, mm -hmm. frankly, as an invisible export and increasing mm. economic growth within Wales is really important. And then perhaps if I just finish by going all the way back to our sort of underpinning ethos. And I think our ethos today, our mission today, is not a million miles removed from where it was in 1865. We're still about widening opportunities and we're still about making economic and social impact that helps Wales and the wider world. And do you feel that over time, that ethos that you've got, in a sense, appeals more and more to the kinds of students that you're getting at the university, in a sense, you're attracting generations of students who share those very same values that the, the, the university itself has, presumably. I Yes, I agree with that. And I think maybe it goes even further. So I think there's a sense in which many students, both from other parts of the UK and you know, frankly, from other socioeconomic backgrounds and students from around the world also want to be part of that. So I think increasingly students want to be part of a community, a tight knit community. That's the kind of environment in which they thrive. They want to feel a sense of belonging. They want to have these small class sizes, high levels of class contact links with their peers, links with employers. And so I think many of those things that attract widening participation students are mm -hmm. also very attractive to all other students. That's interesting. So it's effectively underpinning it or, or sitting, sitting underneath it is this ethos of inclusivity that really works across the board. And it's probably a good time to talk about the open campus approach that you've got because that's been one of in a sense it it almost embodies that ethos you've just really set out around just having an open door to a, a wider community yeah I think that's right an open campus it, it embodies many aspects of provision that I think you know we will all have seen in other universities but I think this is on a scale and with a scope that is unprecedented it's a collaborative program between the university, the local council, which is Cardiff City Council, mm -hmm. and 28 schools. 
And it builds on the university's very strong reputation in sport. So we have you know, absolutely outstanding sporting facilities, strong background in education and research in sport. And this programme opens up that expertise and those facilities to schools in and around Cardiff so that we can deliver sport, physical activity, outdoor play, health and well-being opportunities to young people from within Cardiff, the Cardiff city region. And Cardiff itself is a very strong sporting city. Within two miles of the campuses, there are something like a quarter of a million seats at sporting venues. So if every stadium was occupied at the same time, we'd have a quarter of a million sport spectators. So sport is actually a very good lever to access people and communities within Cardiff. And in fact, I think it was Nelson Mandela who said sport has the, the power to change the world because it can reach young people in a way that they understand. So we can use sport as a mechanism to build awareness of the university and of other issues around health and well-being and so on. And we use not just our staff in this programme, but we also provide opportunities for our students to act as coaches and tutors for these young people. Mm -hmm. And this is very much aligned with Welsh Government educational policy for schools. It's also aligned with the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, mm -hmm. which is yeah. an interesting piece of legislation in Wales that, you know, really forces us to consider mm. in everything we're doing, what mm. impact a policy or a practice will have on the next generation. So we open up our campus to these young people and it's quite a sight to behold. Um, <laughs> we've had something like 8,000 young people now participate in this program. Um, we've, we run it, um, it's been difficult obviously during COVID, but we run it every week and wow. young people come onto campus, they try different sports, they're coached in the sports and they're introduced not just to the sport and its rules and so on, but to some of the underpinning science and coaching and the technology and the facilities. Um, Cardiff Met actually was the, the university that invented some of those performance analytics in sport. Mm -hmm. So you'll, mm -hmm. see, you'll see the top footballers with these tiny little gadgets stuck inside the back of their shirt, recording how, how far they've run, how fast they've run and so on. Um, so Cardiff Met has been developing this technology and it's a great thing to engage young people in. They, they absolutely love it, particularly you know, hate to gender stereotype, but particularly young boys who might not be wholly engaged with, you know, maths um, education. So this has been really useful for getting young people engaged. But and, and there are some of those... the um, some of the some of the pe young people are really young, aren't they? They're they're sort of primary age style children, I think. Is that right? They're they're almost all. They're not all, but almost all primary. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think some of the biggest impacts that I've seen have been on the really young age groups. So mm -hmm. the kind of seven, eight year olds, you know, that, that kind of stage and age where, yeah. you know, sometimes things can go a bit wrong and then it's difficult to get people back on track. Yeah. So we've yeah. seen really positive outcomes, not just in terms of health and well-being and sport, 
But what happens with these young people once they're back in their classroom at school, mm -hmm. they're more engaged, they're more alert. Yeah. And not only the young people themselves, but one of and there are always fantastic unintended consequences from these big projects. And one of those is that we've had reported back to us on a consistent basis that actually the parents of these young people are now more engaged with their schooling. And we've welcomed parents onto campus to watch Open Campus in action. And that's been absolutely fantastic. And, and so you, you know, feel I, like it's that double bonus because actually they themselves, I mean, I, I, when I was young, I never would have dared go onto a university campus. Um, no one in my family had been to university. It, it felt like something I wanted to do, but I, I we, we just never would have gone onto a campus. And I'm going to guess that just simply seeing it for real is a massive impact for, for some families, isn't it? But not just the children, for the parents too. So I think this is a huge thing. And yes, I can still remember the first time I set foot on campus. It was a, a school trip to Stirling University Library <laughs> and I was so nervous. Um, I'm sure I didn't really get anything much out of it. I but bet I you never thought you'd be running a university later Well, on. absolutely not. No. <laughs> um, but I think if we can get you know, children really young onto campus. I mean, mm. I, I tell a story about my former university and I, I know you have another podcast from my successor, Rob Warner at Plymouth mm. Marjon. Yeah, yeah. I always remember a day at Plymouth Marjon where we had, and they were probably eight, nine-year-olds on campus and we welcomed them in a, a slightly intimidating lecture theatre <laughs> and I said hello to them and I said, well, how many of you have got, you know, a brother or a sister or a family member at university? And there were hardly any hands went up. I then asked them, how many of you think you would like to come to university? And there were two or three tentative hands put up. They went off for a couple of hours, did things not dissimilar to what <laughs> we're doing at Open Campus. And then I saw them at the end of the day. And they were all chatty and buzzy, couldn't get them to be mm -hmm. quiet. <laughs> and then I said, okay, you know, you've been here for the afternoon. How many of you now think you would like to, and before I could even finish the sentence with come to university, almost every hand had just shot up in this room. And I thought, my goodness, it's that easy. One yeah. afternoon on campus meeting some really engaging lecturing staff. And, you know, we've got to train our staff, I think, to engage with an age group that's very different mm. from the age mm. group they normally engage with. But, you know, these are the things we can all do and should be doing. And it's absolutely transformative. And they reckon that, I think I saw some research last year that showed if you already know you want to go to university by the time you're age 10, you're something like six times more likely to actually get I saw yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, it, it yeah. really is kind of it, there's a, a distinct evidence base and I think from my perspective what's really interesting is this sense of a big debate often is how, how do you raise aspirations and yet actually there are for those children going to that university it, it's a little bit like suddenly going into another world or, or having a sense that there is this other world of opportunity that maybe completely challenges their perspective that they'd only, when you're that young, you really only know your own world. And I think suddenly being confronted by 
maybe another interesting world that, that you'd like to be part of, I think has a huge impact on young people. I think that's absolutely right. And we've been talking a lot recently at uh, Cardiff Met about race equality and actually mm -hmm. taking you know, some fairly significant action on that front. And a number of the staff leading on that project talk about, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And yeah. I think, you know, it is just about getting people on campus, getting people to see other members of staff or to hear stories that make them think, oh gosh, you know, and it's the old thing of we have more in common than that which separates us. And I mean, I can reflect on my own university education. I went to Edinburgh University and I mm -hmm. think it was in year three before I heard a lecturer with a Scottish accent or before I was taught by a woman. Now, you know, no surprise that by year three, I certainly wasn't thinking I would be a lecturer. Mm -hmm. So if we can't see ourselves in the people that are in these positions, then I think it's very, very difficult. And in terms of your wider work then, so we talked about open campus and just how transformative that is. But there's obviously also work that Cardiff Met does that is really reaching out to those most underrepresented students who get to go to higher education, whether it's care leavers, young carers, you know, there's those children growing up in communities where there's multiple issues around deprivation. Tell us a little bit about how you manage to make sure that you get out to those furthest away from a level playing field and opportunity. Yeah, so again, I mean, perhaps I can give a couple of examples. One from sport again. Uh, we work with the prison service and we work with South Wales Police Youth Trust, the Police and Crime Commissioner, to engage those who have either recently come out of prison or where we're actually trying to intervene to ensure people don't end up in prison. Mm -hmm. And we use sport again, and it's worked very, very well in partnership with many local sports clubs, again, to link young people in the community, sometimes with our students as well as our staff, and that's been a really successful initiative just to give people some purpose through joining a sport club. And it, it's slightly mm -hmm. cliched, but we have actually had great success with boxing clubs, mm -hmm. um, but also with, you know, some slightly more surprising sports like table tennis. And, you know, this has helped these young people have a purpose or a focus, but it's also opened their eyes to university because Many of our students have been involved in these programs. And again, it's fascinating when you talk to these students, you know, there'll be invariably young men, young men of a similar age, will introduce a student to one of these young men from the community who may just have come out of prison or may just have narrowly have avoided prison. And invariably our student will report back, oh gosh, you know, we're so similar, we've got the same interests, we like the same music, we support the same sports team. And, you know, they'll reflect on this and they'll say, the difference is that I've had more opportunity. And if I hadn't had that opportunity and been able to take advantage of the opportunity or had the means to take advantage of the opportunity, oh gosh, I could so easily have been in that position that this, you know, person I've just met is in. So that's a really successful initiative. Um, care leavers, I think, is a huge challenge in universities. And I 
still think universities are not terribly well equipped to deal with care leavers. We've, we've done a lot of work here, and particularly during COVID, um, we were one of the universities that provided a tremendous amount of financial support for students and care leavers actually took, um, you know, took the opportunities that we were providing both in terms of financial support, support for digital poverty. You know, many of our care leaver students don't live in, you know, wonderful family homes with multiple devices. Yeah. Um, the other issue, of course, that we had to consider this time last year was what would happen with care leaver students over Christmas? Mm -hmm. You know, so we were in a very difficult situation with COVID. Many universities were, you know, closing campuses. But of course, you can't close your campus if yeah. that campus is home. So for many of our care leavers, international students, campus is home. And, you know, I think we have gone out of our way to try and make that a home where they feel a real sense of belonging. Yeah. And clearly um, the results speak for themselves because was it earlier last month at the end of November, beginning of uh, December as we speak now, it's, it's mid-December, um, Cardiff Met became the Times Higher Education University of the Year, which is a huge accolade. I, I guess uh, you'll modestly say you were surprised, I have no doubt, Cara, but um, tell us a little bit about what it was like to get that award on behalf of the university, but also almost where do you push on from now? I mean, it, it's an incredible accolade, but, but where do you go after it as well? Yeah, so you're absolutely right to say it is an award that I accepted on behalf of the university. And actually, as I accepted it, I said, you know, I was accepting this on behalf of our 20 plus thousand students who come from all over the world, Afghanistan to Zimbabwe. And, you know, one of our big initiatives is supporting sanctuary scholars. And we're just about to welcome a scholar from Afghanistan. So I think, you know, I accept the award on behalf of our local students and those from further afield who are also having, the, having their own levelling up challenges. Mm -hmm. um, it means a huge amount to Cardiff Met. And what we didn't know at the time was the award had never actually been won by a Welsh university, which was quite surprising. So I, it's been interesting to see the reaction, not just in the university, but more widely across Wales. So everyone is really delighted. And, you know, my own personal delight is actually seeing the reaction of staff, <laughs> mm. every single one of whom understands that they made a contribution to this award. And I think for me, that's just been so joyful to watch because it absolutely confirms that we have one strong community within the university. And, you know, we talk about our sense of one Cardiff Met. And I think, you know, everyone has felt this award was given personally to them, which is absolutely great. Um, and I think, you know, for me, the important thing, and I think everyone across the university understands this, is that the award was given for two reasons. Mm -hmm. And there are two there are two reasons that are sometimes not seen in tandem within a university. Some universities are kind of good at one and not the other. So it was given for our improving performance. And we had a really ambitious strategy that we developed five years ago. And it was a strategy focused on 
growth, diversification and improvement. And, you know, the results over the last couple of years, particularly, have really demonstrated enormous progress in relation to that agenda, which, you know, has been about moving towards a high performing institution. Mm -hmm. But it was also given for what I would broadly call compassionate leadership. So across the university, I think, you know, all staff responded very well to COVID and responded in a way that developed our sense of community mm -hmm. across both students and staff. So I think having that combination of you can be high performing, but you can yeah. do it in a way that cares for your yeah. people. So it's what me, you've done yeah. and how you've done it, both of them. Yes. And I think, you know, across, I mean, I've worked across the UK sector, you know, both geographically and in terms of types of university. And I think I've seen universities that are very good at looking after their people. And I've seen universities that are very good at looking after their reputation or finances. Mm -hmm. But looking after all three of those things I think is quite a tricky balancing act. And I think that's what staff at Cardiff Met have achieved over the last yeah. few years. And that's the pride, isn't it, in terms of, of having struck that balance. And what does it mean for, for the next steps? Um, where do you go after you've been University of the Year? <laughs> I know, yeah, I'm a bit concerned because my board are obviously expecting an improvement on this. I'm not quite sure what that <laughs> exactly. means. Exactly. Um, I mean, I think for us, it gives us a really strong foundation on which to build. We are actually halfway through devising our next strategic plan. Mm -hmm. And I think it's enabled colleagues to feel a bit more ambitious about mm -hmm. that yeah. plan, which is great. And we have some big ambitions, um, partly building on the achievements that we've already made. So continuing on that trajectory of growth, diversification and improvement. Uh, the last plan developed a new, a whole new school, the School of Technologies. The next plan takes us into a new area focused on environment and sustainability, mm -hmm. both in terms of programs, research and innovation, but also in relation to the actual campuses. So right. because we've done quite well in terms of growth and financial sustainability, we're now able to invest in a major master plan or the implementation of the major master plan to green our campuses and mm -hmm. we have a pretty bold ambition to be net zero by 2030 wow which is certainly you know pretty early for uk mm -hmm. universities we believe we can do it mm -hmm. and that for me is really exciting because mm -hmm. again it's not just about high performance and doing things right it's also about doing the right thing yeah um and I think you know by the end of that so that will take us through to 2030 you know I think we will have made a major contribution not just to students education but to the economy and environment of Wales which is fantastic so not only will you have done if you like the people side of it and particularly leveling up and social mobility you'll have also done the planet bit which yeah. you know, is is almost the other half, isn't it, of, of these bigger challenges that we face as a country and arguably a wider world. And then Cardiff met as a university saying, right, we're going to take on both of those, <laughs> but we'll have to be at our best in a way to do it. Well, that's right. And I think it was only the week after the Times Higher Award, the People and Planet 
league table came out and we are now first in Wales, fifth in the UK. And that's a position yeah. that we'd really like to hold on to. Um, and we know, you know, that rightly everyone is improving in terms of what they're doing for environmental sustainability. And I think that can also have a really positive leveling up impact because, you know, until we are sustainable in the environment, we will always have places or parts of the UK that are quite literally fueling other parts of the UK in a way that is unequal. So this yeah. is an important agenda for all of us, I think. Yeah, totally agree. And obviously, you know, your leadership in all of this has made such a such a difference. And, and I was saying earlier that I guess when you went to that Opendale, whatever it was, um, up in Scotland at a university all those years ago, you never thought you'd end up being a vice chancellor. So tell us a little bit about that career path and how it finally ends up at Cardiff. Yeah, I certainly didn't dream not only of being a vice chancellor, I didn't even dream of being in education. Um, mm -hmm. my, my first visit to Stirling University, which was actually in my hometown, was, as I said, to the library. But I was far more interested in my second visit, which was to learn to kayak on the loch <laughs> that, that's at the heart of Stirling University. So I wasn't a great student. I was far more interested in sport and the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I had I had two passions. Well, I still have two passions, social justice and the environment. And in choosing what to do at university, social justice won out marginally over environment initially, in that I went to Edinburgh University with my sights on becoming a social worker. Mm -hmm. um, that ambition gradually fell away. And the Scottish education system is such that you take three subjects for two years and it allows you to, to move between those subjects so that you can major in any one of the three for your third and fourth year. And actually mm -hmm. for my third year, I chose not to major in what would have been social policy. And I moved to geography. So I moved from my kind of social justice interest mm. more to an environmental interest. But I've always been interested in the environment, sustainability, equality, diversity, inclusion, and then more laterally in the impact of all of these things on the economy. Um, so I did a geography degree, I had no ambition or intention of going into anything in education. This was mid-late 1980s and mm. there were very few jobs around in Scotland. I then did a one-year postgraduate programme mm -hmm. and interestingly the postgraduate programme was at a small college in Edinburgh that was right. subsequently subsumed into Edinburgh University and to which I returned in 2010 as the head of the, the college um, with the professorial titles social and environmental justice. Perfect. So there's a nice kind of loop round there. Yeah. Um, and of course in between time I'd, I'd been you know working in a number of universities in England at that point yeah. So I left, I left Scotland at the end of the 80s, took a lecturing job in South London in further education. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, a, it was a bit of a gamble, you know. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. on, the, on the Sunday, I was travelling down from Scotland, age 23 or something. And on the Monday, I was teaching six hours in a further education college 
in South London where I was the only white person in the class and it was just a wonderful experience yeah um, I still think I probably learned more than they did yeah and then I you know that that was good but I kind of outgrew further education I was really interested in research and higher education so I moved to what was then a polytechnic North London polytechnic that then became a university in 92 stayed there for eight years then realized I needed I, and I kind of moved up you know got a few promotions liked it thought I was quite good at this stuff um, mm -hmm. but realized that there would be a ceiling to my advancement because I didn't have a research background I hadn't done a PhD I had by that point done two top postgraduate courses and a teaching qualification but didn't have a PhD and so enrolled for a part-time PhD at Bristol University. So you almost, you know, becoming this accidental oh, <laughs> academic almost and, and need to kind of start putting the other pieces in place. Absolutely. And never thinking more than one step ahead. Yeah. Um, so never thinking more than what's the next job or what's the next qualification and probably doing that thing that too many women do of arming myself with way too many qualifications when I just <laughs> got on with it. Um, and then moved into a couple of research roles, first at the University of Gloucestershire, and then my first professorship was at UE, the University of the West of England in yeah. Bristol. And yeah. I loved, loved my time in Gloucestershire, both at um, Gloucestershire and at UE. And then, you know, life has its kind of strange twists and turns. I ended up in hospital, serious illness, um, spent, I think, a total of about three months in hospital between 2007, 2008 with ulcerative colitis and major surgery mm -hmm. and was about to retire on ill health grounds at the age of 42. And thanks to a wonderful surgeon called Neil Borley, I'll give him a shout out here. Um, I managed to recover and to return to work. But as is often the case when people go through things like that and return to work, work doesn't seem quite to have the same meaning. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was focused on a research role and it didn't feel like the best contribution I could make to change mm -hmm. the world. Yeah, yeah. So that was probably the trigger to move into more senior leadership. And I, I left. UE went to Bedfordshire, then went to Edinburgh University, and then got my first vice chancellor role at the other end of the country and the other end of the university spectrum at Plymouth Marjon, which was a wonderful place, um, I think, to give me a good education and grounding yeah, in yeah. values driven leadership. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then came to Cardiff Met five years ago, vice chancellor of obviously a university that is considerably bigger than Plymouth Marjon. And I think what I've tried to do here is to take the best of what I've seen yes. in every university I've worked in. And I have seen outstanding practice in every university. And I've often said, if I could just bring each element of that outstanding practice together with a strong values base that has a purposeful drive is focused on impact and delivers all of that with compassion, then I think we might achieve something. And I think that's what we're doing at Cardiff Met. We're not 
we're not a completed project, but we're at least some way there. It's really, it's really exciting. And, and it's just amazing how all these different pieces of your experience suddenly start to come together as so often, but not necessarily a major plan for people listening. That is normal. Um, very few people have this sort of um, massive career plan ahead of them. But if you were looking back on your career to date and you had one bit of advice almost for, you know, younger Cara perhaps, um, what would it be, do you think? That younger Cara turning up at the library at Stirling University, what advice do you think you'd give yourself now? Gosh, um, I don't know if at that age or at a slightly older age, I would, I would certainly say just be more confident about your sense of self and what you believe in. So mm -hmm. I think I had very firm beliefs as a teenager you know I was yes. kind of yeah. battling for these things the social yeah. justice the environment all these things that didn't quite fit with the status quo and perhaps not with the establishment either and I think just have the courage of your convictions yeah. because where we achieve our best work and we all say this to students when we're advising them about dissertation topics choose something that you're interested in and passionate about and you will give your best work. And I think, yeah, I would have liked to have had the confidence yeah. to have followed my instincts, values, passions, beliefs um, a bit more assertively as a younger yeah. person. And, and to understand actually that that was okay to do in a way. It sounds like you did it anyway, but in a sense, it's almost the mentoring, isn't it, that helps you realise that that's a good thing to do. Yes, and it, it's just that being true to yourself, you know, and it, it, you know, I often say to colleagues, you have to be yourself, you know, you can't leave yourself at home and go to work. There's only one, there's only one you, and if you try and create multiple versions of you, you'll just trip up. So Absolutely. yeah, just being more confident about our whole selves. And so you can only be your best if you can be yourself. I think yeah. that's a, a fantastic place to, to finish. Cara, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the podcast. And congratulations again for the University of the Year Award. You know, we're just so delighted that you're part of our Leveling Up Universities Coalition. It's, it's just brilliant. Um, and yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having the discussion today. Thank you. Thanks, Justine. And we're delighted to be part of what's a really important initiative. <laughs>